Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 56 of the Motorific Podcast. As usual, I am Joanne Dawn, and I'm here with the awesome Christy Farrell. And this week's episode, we're just going to talk about some of the latest news, uh, kind of just a couple of news stories that have gone on this week. And The lull know. before the storm that is ICMA. And if we were going, it would be a little more exciting. But ICMA is also coming. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, whatever else I guess we think of along the way. So one article that I posted about was an interview that Vogue magazine, yes, Vogue, the fashion one that nobody, none of us normal people read. Like, I don't know. I can't remember the last time I actually picked one up to look at it. Um, the... They did a little lifestyle fashion piece about um, basically sexy denim and how to break in your sexy denim or how to find really hot denim uh, clothes to wear. So naturally they interview biker chicks who ride motorcycles because that's who wears these things, I guess. Um Obviously, Vogue hasn't bothered to look at, <laughs> I don't know, look at motorcycle culture in the last 30 years and how much it's changed. I don't know. Um, but the interviews were a little disappointing in my mind. Um, I guess you could say they were, I think they were like the stereotypical kind of hipster interviews not women like me or Christy in these magazines. Um, I mean, other women well, who we're, are... We're not Vogue category no, women. No, <laughs> no, no. I wear jeans every day to work. I've got, you yeah. know... Although, I guess if you're, like, celebrating denim, then maybe I am in the running for being America's Next Top Vogue interview, but not a fashionista by any means. I don't know that these women were in particular. I mean, I guess their qualification was... You got to ride a motorcycle and then wear denim and want to share your tips for how to find the best denims. Where do you find them? Um, you know, what, what are your favorite pieces? And we're talking about flea market denim and consignment store denim and vintage denim and used clothing store denims, not riding denims specifically. Mm. So although, you know, I have... I have to say that only one person actually said and admitted that they wear, they ride in them. The like, first interview. Yeah, only the first person actually said she wore them and rode in them. But, you know, when they talk to the other four, you can kind of assume the same thing. Because why else would they be in this article if they weren't biker babes? And you, mm -hmm. kind, of, you can kind of make that connection because they're not riding, you know, Ninja 650s or Street Triples. They're riding... Harleys, old Harleys or other old cruiser choppery things. You could be a biker babe and ride other things, but you can, yeah, I mean, you can, but she's not the article. She's the gal that wrote the piece is, you know, looking to easy rider and girl on a motorcycle kind of era. Yes, a la biker 30 chic. years ago, 20 mm -hmm. years ago kind of fashion. I guess that's what they consider motorcycle inspired fashion which is that kind of retro vintage, mm -hmm. really hipster look, you know, riding an old Harley. And that's pretty much what all these girls ride. So what 
was really disturbing is that the first person they interview, so she's the only one who actually says, you know, I, I, I ride in these and, but you know, sometimes when I wear my denim shorts, of course I wear stockings underneath because you gotta prepare for what might happen. Indicating. Oh, come on. You want to you quote her. You know you want to quote her. Because she, you're not really quoting her. You're quoting something that everyone says, which is dress for the slide, not for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. But the precursor to that phrase was, if I if it's summer, I wear denim shorts with stockings for protection, and you have to have something between you and the asphalt. Dress for the slide and not for the ride. Yeah. This is a person who has never crashed. <laughs> no, no. She's definitely not crashed. She has no idea what's in store for her. And so... You know, I, I understand, but see, I understand why they wrote it. It's a fashion magazine. They're not, they're there to promote fashion. And so to them, it's, ooh, it's so exciting, you know, babes on bikes. And I forget what they call themselves. It was like a club. It's a SoCal-based club, right? Oh, no, not all these. This The first woman that admits she rides in denim is from Toronto. Okay. Um, then they made, just kind of made up this title for all of them. Um, not title, but they kind of, I guess they just grouped all these women together. Um, she saw someone on Instagram was inspired and then decided to search out women who all have the same kind of denim, love of denim, vintage, you know, Harley biker, babe, mm-hmm. easy rider kind of look. Rider die. That's yeah. what I was thinking of when they wrote that. I thought that was a club name for some reason, but that's even so. worse. Like, what is this? Where does that come from? And why did ride or die? Oh, I don't mind it. I don't know. It's just people who are just pro, you know, a motorcycle. True. It's not anything like (laughs) true. It's not wear denim so that you can ride to die. But um, yeah, totally unrelated to this article altogether. I've seen ride or die quite a few times. Yeah. And then the cover photo they used are basically half naked chicks on the other on like old denims and a tank top. And that's what they're that's what they're wearing. But I've seen that photo um, outside of this article, and I believe it's from a group. There's a actually there's a Facebook page, by the way. I thought I messaged it to you, um, promoting this kind of riding lifestyle. Did I message you that? Um, With some very weird. You might have, but I'll let you bring it up because I tend to not get too into that group because I think I know who you're talking about. Yes. So it's just basically a scantily clad women's motorcycle group that has nothing to do with safety or they don't really think about that or promote that in any way. It's kind of obvious that they don't. Um, that's just not something they that is, is part of their lifestyle. So it's, you know, it's the kind of biker group you can imagine, kind of stereotypical biker group, but all women. Um, You know, I (laughs) kind of that cosplay um, kind of look, I guess you could say, where it's just dressing up to look like you ride a motorcycle, but not really dressing up to really ride the motorcycle and fall off of it. Oh, they, well... (laughs) Yeah, not everybody is. I mean, there's there's probably 50% of the motorcycling population doesn't ride mm-hmm. to fall, right. ride to crash. Right. I mean, that's just a given. But these women ride. They ride like that. <laughs> right. 
and like, and some as far as uh, people we've mentioned in the past who have photography exhibits on this. Um, some of them usually gear up, but for the particular photo shoots, they've you know dressed a little bit differently, mm-hmm. um, and and that's totally your prerogative. I mean, I can distinguish, yep. I can appreciate things from an artistic perspective. Yep. But at the same time, um, you have to realize that not everyone is going to go. Oh well, that's you know awesome artsy. I'm going to go learn how to ride a motorcycle and suit up. I mean, you know, that's, that's, I could sit here and wax, but no, I mean, I'm not going to force anybody to, uh, to wear anything more than they want, but I think what is something that's important to at least get out there is we've come an incredibly long way since the 60s and the 70s where we romanticize about that era but now you can actually be protected there is actually motorcycle gear made for women that look like jeans but have kevlar or ce rated uh knee armor all kinds of stuff so if it's something that you weren't aware of and you would like to be aware of please by all means uh drop us a line at uh, motorific.com because it's something that I aspire to do um, probably in the next couple of weeks is to have the, this is the look that you want to have wearing just denim. And this is the look that you can have wearing C rated protective gear because it's possible. Mm-hmm. Just as sadly as a woman though, it's not something that you can roll up to your, you know, first motorcycle gear shop and suddenly it's all laid out for you. You actually have to, know what you're looking for and try to seek it out and of course if not order it from Revzilla um, there should be a couple places in LA where you can find these kinds of things for example Ugly Bros makes a Kevlar denim in addition to the other denim that they make Mm -hmm. uh, with CE protection they make a Kevlar weave in denim and that is available at the Roland Sands pop-up shop so you just gotta you know I think awareness is key. You just kind of know that it's out there. Know that you can you can look cute and wear a motorcycle gear. It's not always the uh, the fluffy arrow stitch, uh, you know, making you look twenty pounds heavier than you really are. Look that you're committed to to ride. No, but uh, you know, kind of along those lines, I so I did write a blog post this week called "Wear This, Not That," and um, I posted a basically your kind of quintessential motorcycle looking fashion leather jacket you would buy for like $400. I think it was $395 on Nordstrom.com. And then I posted an alternative, which by the way, it won't be the same. So you can't, besides jeans, I think it's really impossible to completely 100% duplicate the protection level of fashion inspired wear with um, protective wear, 100%. I'm not saying that you can't get really close, like 75-80% of the way, but it's really, really hard to get 100% of the protection. That's why these fashion leather jackets look so pretty. They look so nice because they're really thin, right? They're really light. They're very fitted because they're not bulky and there's not armor under there and they're not double stitched and they just look a lot nicer and they look a lot cooler because they don't they're not protective wear and they don't have those elements to make them look like that so that is one thing I do want to caution people against is too many times I find people who are trying to equally duplicate their casual wardrobe to motorcycle wear like to to this most protective level or to a higher 
um, protective level equal to, say, two-piece riding leathers or, you know, higher-end textiles. And you're always going to compromise something when you try to find casual-inspired motorcycle gear. Sure. Are you... um are you familiar with the Dainese? Um, I want to say it's like the casual wear inspired motorcycle gear, except there's like a, it's like the well, padding is like a gel. They have, yeah, they do have some urban uh, lines, urban inspired jackets, Thank and they you. use different, it's like their city lines and they use their softer armor for that. Um, one is pro shape. It's like a little honeycomb super thin it's really small though it covers a small surface area like Mm -hmm. the hip pads are tiny um yeah and those are nice because they use softer armor and alpine stars has something similar as well they have urban stuff with soft their softer bio armor and revit also has all of their cool urban stuff exactly how Um, does that how does the dainese though uh how does that rate against ce rated like i mean well the armor is still ce and ian rated they're just using oh, okay. a, they're just using different like smaller. So if you buy like in your Nikita, they have a full elbow and forearm guard. Like the right, the armor goes all the way almost to your wrist Correct. bone. Yeah, in the city stuff, and and uh, your Dainese one has like a hard shell with a soft interior. The softer armor is just it's shorter, so it really only covers the bone and maybe halfway down your forearm not Mm -hmm. all the way down and then the shoulder armor is going to be softer not the hard stuff so a little leaner um but they're still yeah i mean they're still rated i would they're still see you rated and everything so in other words whatever is covered by that soft armor is still protected just like the protection that i have in my jackets or you mean no? you mean the material the jacket material or well, the no, armor but i mean crash worthy yes. if i were to sit and take okay perfect you well, should that be. was that was my point is that i've gone in and and actually when i was looking for a jacket i found a really cool dinese jacket and i was like wait a second the armor here is like funky what's going on and it, it looked great and and with the That's gel why. armor if it's still yeah exactly if the gel armor still has that same level of rating then that is definitely something to look into too because it's very um very innocuous as far as being hidden in there so definitely if you're looking for if you hate the bulky look of some of these really nice european cut jackets Mm -hmm. because of the uh, shoulder or the elbow armor you should definitely give a look at uh, the city lines by revit and dinese because uh, one of their jackets was really awesome but i was just really reluctant to um because i wasn't sure about the the gel i just wasn't sure if the impact worthy would yeah, be the same because level. um d3o works the same way it's really soft and like mushy as well you mm-hmm. just don't get the same surface area coverage you know you lose I- half of your arm you lose the forearm you go just you just cover the elbow Right. And, and like a couple inches below the elbow, which is what most jacket armor has anyway, is it? Yeah. Right. It's kind of halfway down the forearm. But the other thing you lose with city wear is longevity and then and then the technical aspects of the garment. Like, um, you know, you they're, they're not intended for you to ride, say, across country or to sure. go through multiple temperatures or to be heavy duty enough to reuse 
a few times if you had to like not as durable in the long run whereas like your nikita that will hold up if you do crash yeah. in it i can't imagine that would tear through it'd probably look ugly Crazy leather yeah it would just be scuffed and maybe ugly but you'd still mm -hmm. be using it whereas the city stuff it's kind of a one and done because they're all lighter and that's again where you you compromise so if you are looking for fashion stuff there is a lot of really pretty fashion inspired gear out there like rolling sands and yeah. But they're never going to be 100% equal in safety. Some, there are a few exceptions. The only things I've seen are rocker jeans. Those are pretty crazy. And if they Roland made them. Sands is the, the, is it the Ronin jacket? Is that the woman's jacket? No, the, that's the boys. The men's is, okay. the women's is the maven. Um, but that's thick leather though, isn't it? It's 1.1 to 2, 1.3 millimeter. That's, so it's. That's good, right? Yeah, it's above casual grade because casual is like 0. 0.7 to 0.9, yeah. 1.0. Anything above 1.0, you're definitely in the kind of riding range of gear. However, the mm -hmm. thing that bothers me about the Ronin and the Maven are all those seams on the elbow. There's like five of them because they have this funky padded, so funky design on the uh -huh. elbow. That being said, it's still, you know, it's still safer than wearing the Nordstrom's jacket you know, than a 0.7 millimeter lambskin or something sure. by far again, just longevity. But I don't, I think any wear to it kind of adds to the flavor of the jacket anyway. But, yeah. um, I, uh, I, I'm not a fan of the cut. I can't, I can't ride in it. It's not comfortable for me to ride in cause it doesn't fit me right. But it, I, I do like wearing it just as a casual jacket cause it's yeah. cute, but there are, yeah, there's, there's, definitely options for that i just what really made me sad about that article it was actually not so much that they're trying to re kind of um represent women writers in this way which is i think a problem but my main issue is that this these women have done absolutely no homework or at least i can say that first woman has obviously not done any homework i mean maybe she did and they just left it all out i don't i I, I have a hard time giving her the benefit of that doubt, but her um, misinformation about what should be protective is what really bothers me is that oh, she, I, you know, that, that's just, I feel it sucks because there's a lot of women out there who are going to look at that and go, Oh, I, I want to ride. And I, well, maybe I can go find some vintage denim too down the street at yeah. my consignment shop. And then I'll be ready to go, you know, and like not knowing what the consequences are is one of the most dangerous things for any new rider out there is to be completely unaware of what you're getting into and what might happen because if you knew what would happen you would have a very different approach you know what i mean it's just it just sure. bums me out yeah i mean it's it was not made for women in motorcycling that wasn't the goal or the purpose or anything no but it's that's purely the problem just, you know a fashion fluff piece but yes, as you're pointing out, someone who reads this may think, oh, well, this is perfect. I'm so happy I can get away with wearing denim when I ride a motorcycle. And absolutely correct. I mean, that's the kind of image that you have to be very careful about. We, you know, we aim to educate. As long as you know what the risks are and you know what your options are, you know, rock on, make your own decision. You know, where, right. where evil denim. Evil you know, just like evil exactly. evil did. And that's great. But she was completely aloof. And I have a feeling the rest of them were pro are probably too completely aloof because they're probably the problem with one of the things with the motorcycle world is we're very segmented. We're very, if you're a cruiser person, you're probably riding only with cruiser people and you're probably mostly hanging out. You know, a lot of the times I feel like the circles don't ever mix. They don't mix enough. They might cross over in certain, you know, 
places, but I'd say for the most part, I feel like you kind of, most people kind of stay with their herd, so their to speak. Their own kind. Yeah, like if you're a vintage enthusiast, you're probably riding with a bunch of vintage enthusiasts, you know. Um, but there's it, not, I mean, there's not a lot we can <laughs> do to yeah. change that. But uh, I just, I just hate seeing One, misinformation like this, you know. Once upon a time, a guy who was a vintage motorcycle enthusiast intentionally lost my number because I made some sort of joke <laughs> like, well, I know that, you know, you're more into the aesthetic and a little less into the protection, but, you know, if I was your girlfriend, I would still probably drag you into a, a Revit shop or something and have you try this stuff on and tell you how hot and sexy you looked in it. And I, I don't think that went over very well. I wouldn't require it, but I definitely would, you know, want to show him or, you know, whoever that, hey, this is, you can still look authentic and mm-hmm. be protected. Yeah. Especially guys. There, yeah. There's, I think right now, especially with Revit jumping in on the whole metropolitan city look, I think that that is the target market. You know, mm-hmm. protect protect the, the cafe racer vintage aesthetic crowd who's yep. focused oh. more on, you know, my bike is awesome and yep. I don't want to, to blemish it by wearing, you know, um, bulky gear. Yep. And one... Um... So th- I'm trying to think. So those three, so Revit, Dionysia, Op and Stars, Roland Sands, those four definitely make some really nice casual wear as well as rocker. If you're a man or you're in Europe, then you can get ladies rocker jeans, which are pretty effing amazing. And the only riding jean I would consider wearing because they make yeah, and crazy ugly jean. ugly bros with the Kevlar as well. Um, but there are a lot of jeans out there that are Kevlar. The the thing I like about Rocker that's very different than Ugly Bro or anyone else is their their denim. Uh, one of their their waterproof jean is a Dynatech denim, so it's not casual denim. It's like their own kind of denim that has some shoulder crazy shoulder material. It's made out of fake denim, basically. Um, that's reinforced with this shoulder fabric, so it's yeah, totally that's the same off, fabric they use on off, racer gloves off the chart. Uh, they use shoulder Kepertech lining mm-hmm. you'll, you'll find Kepertech lining in a lot of gloves um but this was something that rocker ex- i think they exclusively um partnered with Scholler to make this material just for their jeans called dynatech denim so it's something totally different only they have it and that's why their jeans are 500 dollars. and they have really cool women's stuff but i've never seen it before mm-hmm. um yeah it's really really cool cool jeans uh, so switching gears, why don't we talk a little bit about the updated lane splitting study that came out? Um, if you've been on the Facebooks with your motorcycle friends, you've probably been sharing some of these stories about the report, this research that was done um, in Berkeley from a, some independent, you know, research firm about the dangers of lane splitting, and their um, I guess kind of the takeaway is that, you know, lane splitting doesn't really pose uh, a higher danger. Just the act of lane splitting isn't more dangerous. However, there's some things that can get in the way and that can certainly make it more dangerous. Just like driving, I think. Just like being in a car. You know, it's like driving a car is yeah, totally so, safe till you're drunk. So- if you're familiar about us um, quite some time ago talking about 
the lane splitting bill that they were trying to pass based on, I think it was a guy out of Berkeley, somewhere mm-hmm. in the East Bay. And he decided to shelve the bill to wait until the Berkeley study came out. So given the fact that this is the Berkeley study that they were waiting for, mm-hmm. I pretty much imagine that we won't be seeing that bill ever be unshelved again. <laughs> so that's always uh, something positive to think about. And hopefully that information as I've seen also bounced around, will be able to be used in different uh, state, different state, you know, assembly, Congress, what have you, to get bills passed outside of California for lane splitting. Yeah, there. I saw on Reddit, um, some, somebody posted Sorry, from... Sorry, my brain is just done. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll be done. My brain will be done in a minute or two. Um, <laughs> The yeah, uh, so on Reddit, some guy from Tennessee posted a a link to some petition he's started, and so, and I also might have seen it from another state, but I think people are using the study or looking at the study and going, yeah, hey, maybe we can make this work in our state, and that would be so awesome. But you know, here it's not allowed in in PA, but I do it. I'll do yeah. it. I'll do it once. And I mean, it's it's Berkeley. It's not a bunch of hooligans. UC Berkeley is quite a recognized institution. So. No, I don't think it was the university. It's um, it I was. I thought it was the university. No. No, like looking at the um, I have the link yeah. here, and it was some company. I forget the name of it. Uh, it looks like some independent research firm of some sort. Ewald and Wasserman Research Consultants, LLC. So they had a, some research firm do this study. I thought it was UC Berkeley related. No, it doesn't look like it. Um, I mean, maybe they partner with them, but the report has this name. It's from through the California Office of Traffic Safety, the Safe Transportation Research and Education Center at UC Berkeley. But the study was actually the research was performed by a research firm and outside okay, done firm. in conjunction yes. with something at UC Berkeley. Yeah. The safe All right. transportation research and education yeah. center. So, um, you know, that's, that probably makes it as long as, is there tied into it? That mm-hmm. makes it more legit in I, my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think maybe it'll lead to some other lane sharing bills in your state so we'll post a link to that study you can read it yourself and then uh one of the articles that i read about it and um i'll see if you can make it work where you live but i i i mean i just do it like i don't i'd rather not overheat here in this bumper to bumper traffic well now you don't run the risk of overheating how's that for you over there oh yeah 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 <laughs> from hot to nipply it's cold it's just cold it's already 40 some i'm gonna put my heated grips on if i have nice. time tonight otherwise i'll put them on tomorrow morning put my or my jacket on and order i need to order grips so i'm gonna order those this week and get them on great a foot of snow in new england damn it <laughs> 
Today, actually, out in, in SoCal, it was probably in the mid-40s when I left and got much warmer as the day progressed. I think it was like 65 when I got home at like noon. Yeah, no. But I had to, I had to rock the, the Racer Queens today. My, uh, my leather knuckle protection, uh, fluffy pink liner glove from Racer. Because uh, it was just cold enough for me to not be able to pull off any of my thinner uh, unlined gloves. Yeah, but, no, it got uh, it got above fifty here today. It was like forty, yeah. and then it was like fifty. It was just disgusting. My but friend, today, oh, go ahead. Um, my friend, see, my friend was trying to do his iron butt t- ride today. <laughs> he was doing a thousand mile, but he's doing all interstate, so he's just doing a slab route through Ohio. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then circling back this way, but he gave up after, I think, 180 miles because it was really, really, really windy. And so he's burning through the gas a lot faster because of the wind. So he decided to turn around because riding conditions just aren't ideal today for an iron butt, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, well, today, um, the event that I went out to was the... 35th annual Hanson Dam Ride, a.k.a. the hmm. best ride by a dam site. Huh. Okay. Um, that was sponsored by the Southern California Norton Riders Group. Hmm. And there had to have been well over 500 motorcycles there. Cool. Like, it was a quite impressive turnout. Yesterday it was raining, so I imagine a lot of people saw the sun and went, all right, we're heading out today. But this entire parking lot was just saturated with all things British. And and then, of course, a BMW and a Victory and a couple other random um, random people crashed Randoms. in the parking that weren't on, on British bikes like myself. But uh, I posted quite a few photos to the Motorific Media on Instagram account. And they had a sidecar today. I just have to mention, like, the cool specimens they had a sidecar that looked like a Woody, like a Woody. I saw that. And I was so just, cute. Oh. And there were two seats in it. Like easily, if you put the front seat down, that would be great for me because you could totally stretch out. I mean, this is the longest sidecar I've ever seen. And it was just the most epic design on a sidecar. And it was being towed by like maybe, a, I think it was probably an 80s Triumph. But nice. just that and then a, a Triumph Desert Sled. Like, the serious vintage Steve McQueen probably sat on it at one point in time. Motorcycle with knobbies. It was so awesome. And uh, there was a, another desert tracker that was a vintage Yamaha that looked pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, so I was hanging out with the the British Iron Rebels, which is my friend Ricky's um, club that he has locally. So that was kind of cool to be adopted by these guys. And they invited, come on, come back in. I'm like, no, 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 it's cool. I don't want to contaminate your beautiful pool of BSA, Norton and Triumph and Enfield. I'm just going to park this BMW outside. (laughs) Whatever. But uh, needless to say, good fun, lots of amazing motorcycles, really cool people. And, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't be a better way to start off your morning. Nice. And oh. then, uh, I guess, uh, other news that we didn't get to before I started chatting about socially stuff mm-hmm. is um, Paul Carruthers, you may have heard that name, associated with Cycle News, 
and also a bike week radio show has uh, has left cycle news after 30 years at this publication which is just an amazing run um he is going to work as the communications manager i believe for moto america the new american uh takeover for ama pro so we're looking forward like there's just so much excitement building about moto america it's nuts so i'm really hoping that you know their first year is got all the right intentions going Mm -hmm. hopefully everything is is fairly successful and they can continue to build on the excitement that is hopefully a a return to um, american motorsports because we've been lacking as i'm sure you've heard me complain about daytona and moto gp and uh you know a half dozen other events that i would go to and just be like where are all the people supporting racing what happened yeah i I hope it goes better for them. Be nice to see a really packed year for next riding yeah. season. Oh, speaking of riding news, Aprilia won their th- uh, third World Superbike Championship in the last five years. Nice. So they broke their they, well. They lost their ten-year winning scre- streak when they lost to I think Cowie a few years, two, three years ago. So now they won again. And that's based on the RS... It's a platform using the RSV4, right? It is the RSV4 factory. Nice. It's like, basically, you can pretty much buy the same bike at your local Aprilia dealer. They had a 10th year anniversary edition, like a Biagi, like with a little Italian pinstripe on it. It was really pretty. It was like a few years ago. But congratulations, Aprilia, for winning again. (laughs) Well, no one... Seem, they seem very hard to beat these days. It'd be interesting well, to see them in GP. Beyond the motorcycle, it's also the rider. Very true. I mean, no, I mean just just the nature of winning at racing like that. True. It's not necessarily always who has the the best bike, but you know what rider knows how to take that bike and make make the best of it. I think it's equal parts skill as well as it is motorcycle. They just seem to be good at picking the right people because they just, they're on fire. Um, What else do we have to chat about? Do you want to close with uh, a little bit of uh, some stories from Bhutan? Sure. Trip. Since since we took a week off of chatting about uh, travels last week, mm-hmm. when we had the the short, or actually two weeks ago, when we had the short joint podcast followed by Joanne's awesome interview with uh, Motor Shop San Francisco. First of all, before I get started, whoa, fifteen dollars, ten dollars an hour. Oh my yep. god, that is so cheap. Not cheap. That blew me away when I listened to that. And if you like, Google <gasps> yeah, and if you Google other cities that have similar shops, they're charging well over a hundred dollars an hour. I'm sure. Well over. Um and that blew me away because their location is better now, right? It's not bigger. like way the hell out in the sticks. No. I mean, yes, yes, it's definitely now it's in San Francisco County in Petrero Hill which is just south of wow. market, like five minutes. So it's it's a really good spot. They're in a big building. Yeah, I know it's bigger. They've expanded when they moved. They didn't downsize. And they've just been really smart about how they're going about this, you know, their business model and not just there to make a shitload of money. Like that's not their intention. 
Their intention is to try to profit, but not all on the backs of the customer base. So, and I think their lift rates have gone down because I remember when they opened, it was $15 an hour, no matter what. And now it's $15 an hour, I believe on weekdays and, or 10 on weekdays, 15 on weekends. Like they're, you know, higher when it's more busy, but, um, their classes are always full and no, it's, it's awesome. And people are always surprised. They're like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. I'm like, well, it's been a great idea for three years. Not, and uh, I think one of the main reasons why it's so successful is because she's a part of it. And uh, I think that adds something different. I'm not saying that it's better necessarily just because there's a woman, but it adds a different flavor and, you know, different choices. That's all just different perspective. And I'm sure I, I, I think her involvement has just you know, added to the success of it. So it also yeah. helps she's a really great graphic designer. So all the really cool, like photos and imagery that you see, it's all designed by her. So it has like nice. a really nice, modern, cool feel to it. You know what I mean? She's got a great eye is what you're saying. She has a very nice eye, which has been copied over and over again. She was showing me some of the sites that have pretty much just poached her website and copied all the text and but then slap a hideous logo on top of their own that they made in windows, you know, just obviously, yeah, you know, different, but it's, uh, it's awesome. And I have high yeah, hopes. So if you're scratching your head and wondering, what are you guys talking about? Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Joanne did a, uh, a, what I would call a one-off interview since that's kind of how all of our interviews are without each other, um, <laughs> with, uh, with Motoshop San Francisco. So if you uh, if this is news to you, you should go back and check it out. It's like maybe 30, 40 minutes long. Not and, long. Uh, yep, it's not long. Very informative and very interesting just to, yeah. to hear about the business model. And especially if you're local to San Francisco, a huge opportunity if you don't have a place to wrench on your motorcycle or uh, would like further instruction on how to wrench on your motorcycle or don't have the tools. Yep. Totally inexpensive option. And so. it's in the Motorific feed. So if you just yes. go to the iTunes store or go to our blog, it's there on Motorific. Yeah, so so Bhutan. Um, <laughs> Sounds so funny, Bhutan. So Bhutan. It's actually a place where a lot of people that I've talked to about that trip is like, where is Bhutan? <laughs> Good. I was going to ask that. So where is Bhutan? <laughs> like I had to look it up because I didn't know where it was. Yeah. Um, Bhutan is basically borders India and I don't even know if it officially borders Nepal because when I entered into Bhutan, we had left India with Bill to ride, uh, Tashi and myself, left India, went through Nepal, um, so basically from west to east, covered Nepal, exited Nepal into Sikkim and Darjeeling, which is back in India. And then from India, re-entered into Bhutan. Or entered, rather, not re-entered. So, off the top of my head, I can't tell you if Nepal borders it. It probably does. But uh, not at the place that we entered. And it is a country that has not had tourism for forever and a day. Like most countries, I think it was mid-70s when they started allowing foreigners. Um, probably apart from 
the ones that are in neighboring countries mm -hmm. to enter into Bhutan. And I, and I can't tell you how the, the regs were back then. But now, if you are anyone who borders that country, um, specifically India and Nepal, it's an open border. So you don't have to pay for anything as far as a visa is concerned. The only thing you need to do is register a vehicle should you cross over in like a car or a motorcycle. And you have to project how many days you're going to be in the country so that you can kind of buy a pass, if you will. Hmm. And there are quite a few checkpoints to keep you in line. So they like to know where you are at all times. And that is pretty much what I did. Uh, managed to kind of go through Tashi's company and um, someone basically sponsored my entry, I guess you could say. Hmm. And I was able to come into Bhutan for three days and tour around with someone who does tours currently in Bhutan, but not on motorcycle. And so he joined us, and it was the three of us kind of traveling around for a couple of days. Is Bhutan but a democratic elected country? Is it? It's. I wouldn't governed? use the word democratic necessarily, but it's parliament. It, it's. It's had its. It currently still has a, a patriarch um, oh. society. It's on its fifth king. Oh. And. However, the most recent king, and he's our age, actually, um, <laughs> early 30s, he decided that he did not want to have official ruling power and wanted to hmm. make the country a little more democratic, so they have a parliament. Interesting. So the king nowadays is a little bit more of a figurehead in Bhutan and a little less of just an like active role. UK, just like... In the government. Got it. Um, so they're on a parliamentary system. We entered, like I said, through India and it's about, if you're interested in going, I would definitely say, uh, talk to Tashi at Built to Ride because he will be offering tours in 2015. That is the guy that I traveled with through India, Nepal and Bhutan. And basically I don't know what, say, other companies, uh, what they charge for um, for motorcycle tours. But for anyone, the base rate of traveling into Bhutan is $250 a day. Hmm. And of that $250 a day, $150 goes directly to the government per day. So to get a visa, you have to pay $250 a day? Pretty much, because... Wow. The 150 of that 250 goes to the government, and that drives, of course, up the cost. But that remaining 100 goes to an outfitter. You can't show hmm. up at the border, un, you know, unannounced, and and just kind of get a visa that way. You have to pre-arrange your travel hmm. with a company that is based out of Bhutan, that offers the tour. And the way that Bhutan gives their visa is that it's an all-inclusive package. So this company in Bhutan, let's say I wanted to go hiking for four days, you know, I, I fly in with my boyfriend, we go to uh, Paro, we uh, land there, and automatically I'm given a visa, it's all prearranged, and I pay $250 a day, 150 goes to the government, 100 goes back to the touring company, and that covers my room, board, and any activities that I have pre-negotiated with the company that kind of sponsored us, if you will. Hmm. So it's a little complicated. It's, it 
traveling, as I understand it, in Tibet is the same way because I, I wanted to kind of cut loose and take the motorcycle out and kind of disappear for seven days in which, of course, I, I actually did the Bonneville trip. But I wanted to go to Tibet and Tibet said, nope, you need a babysitter in this country too. Mm. So the idea of someone, you know, cost, of course, is huge. Um, $250 a day adds up really fast. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> which is why the country is... There are not a lot of people <laughs> cruising around. Not a lot of not a lot of tourists. At least American tourists are concerned. But uh, the idea of someone kind of watching over my shoulder, for me um, at least, takes away from the kind of spontaneous and organic nature of most of my motorcycle trips because I just like to wander. Mm. Oh, that looks really cool. I think I'm going to stay in this town tonight. Yeah. So that was a little off-putting for me, and and. The people that I talked to that have been there and said, you know, you can gripe and moan and whine about the cost and how much of a pain it's going to be and how you're going to be watched, but you're going to get there and you're just going to be blown away by the scenery and the, and the people are all very nice. And that was essentially true. Um, the The money that you end up spending as far as the $150 a day goes back into, they kind of have like a socialist, <laughs> kind hmm. of like the oddly, you know, the the patriarch or the monarch or what have you and then you yeah patriarch hmm. and then you have uh the parliament which is kind of democratic but then you have this kind of socialist way that they take care of their people where they have schools um that are all paid for and their kids are wearing uniforms walking to school at seven thirty in the morning that was always a hoot having all these kids like run up alongside of the bike and wave to you hmm. like you're a rock star and uh medical and health care is all paid for so, and, and roads, um, the upkeep on their roads was pretty, pretty damn good compared to the countries that I came from going into Bhutan, India specifically. So your money does go back to, uh, to the government. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we entered, it was, uh, early in the morning, took, got at least four hours to get the paperwork going for the motorcycles not even the visa paperwork because we were in there in and out in like 20 minutes for each of us for the hmm. visa but the the motorcycle paperwork they had had some difficulties with their governmental staff issuing visas and border checkpoints and you know road permits and so they basically got rid of everybody and everyone is new so that process has right now a lot of hiccups because they're actually not used to dealing with foreigners crossing over like me. Hmm. The foreigners usually land at the uh, at the airport. So it's all handled within a different staff. So exiting one country and entering another across a border like that is, is a, a little bit different for them. But uh, after we got the paperwork squared away for the bikes, we carried on to Timpu got there a little late met up with our, our friend who flagged us down in front of the hotel and uh basically crashed out i think by that time we had been on the road for quite some time and we spent like five hours of just dealing with drama and not only that but it is a kingdom in the clouds and when you realize that they have to import a lot of their agriculture you totally understand why because you're riding and in between timpu and the border in funseling you're basically cruising alongside a mountain. So the roads are about 10 feet wide to accommodate both the car, the truck, and you. And the drop-off is insane. And you're in the forest, and in the afternoon, the 
fog rolls in, just like in San Francisco, but like way up there. <laughs> fog rolls in, and it's basically like almost a whiteout. So you're going around this curvy mountain pass. You've got cars going in, and, and you're still on the left side of the road. So all of those countries follow the British uh, drive way of approaching roads. And you're closest to the edge. <laughs> so I'm like just kind of riding along going, wow, the scenery is so gorgeous. I certainly hope my video is picking up all of this. Because if I were to take one second to look over and go, oh, how pretty, I would just go off the road. <laughs> There's, like, no time to admire anything. Nice. So I would love to be a passenger on a motorcycle in that particular instance so I could really take it in. Because there's also, conversely, nowhere to pull over and stop and kind of look and take photos. So on some sections of that road, it's really difficult to, to get to capture some some of the beauty that you're, you're in cruising up in the clouds there. But once we got out of that, uh, Timpu and Paro are in valleys. So the two major cities in Bhutan are, are both in valleys. And so the sun comes out. It's, it's fairly warm uh, that time of year. We were getting into the high season for them. High season is October right now and uh, November, I believe. And then it won't pick up again until springtime. But um, three days, you know, never enough. Never enough time. We spent some time in, in Timpu uh, visiting uh, the very large Buddha, if you follow me on hmm on Instagram that they are still constructing, that they've been constructing since 2008, this gigantic golden Buddha that like reaches up into the sky. And I think it's the tallest or the second tallest outdoor unprotected Buddha. And uh, you can see that from downtown. My hotel actually looked nice. over at it and I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. And then we rode to it the next day, which was amazing. And uh, you can see just how small I am compared to this enormous uh, statue. But uh, they also had some special day where they blessed vehicles. So <laughs> they actually gave my motorcycle, a Tika, the little red paste that they make out of, out of uh, marigolds and other um, red naturally colored objects and they grind it up and they basically give you a little dot on the motorcycle and gave it flowers hmm. so my motorcycle is blessed and we carried on to paro where we stayed at a palace a former palace and the view from that place was just gorgeous and i also uh was able to see from there some of the, the main monasteries in the area. And, of course, we didn't get a chance to make it to that beautiful monastery that I took some pictures of because the rain after we had gone up to Tiger's Nest, which is the monastery up, 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 up in the mountains, it's about a four-hour, three- or four-hour trek. Once we got down from the monastery, the I my knees were killing me. So the boys were hungry and i said go knock yourself out i'm gonna go back to the hotel and soak in a tub because my knees are gonna lock up on me and i'm gonna take advil and i'm gonna take a nap because i'm old <laughs> and so they went out and had lunch and right after i got back and i'm relaxed and i'm in the tub suddenly this storm just erupts and it is the worst storm i've experienced on this entire trip where there's thunder and lightning and there's actually water pouring into the bathroom through where the fan is to pull air out. And um, 
wondering, um, at what point in time shall I be concerned about this? And so I, I get up and I look outside and it is just horrendous. And I don't even know whether or not they've come down for the mountain yet. I can't imagine the people that hiked up the monastery in that kind of weather conditions. I mean, I would be hmm. scared as hell because you're exposed to lighting. But um, I finally managed to get a hold of the the guide because neither Tashi nor myself had a functioning SIM card in that country. Hmm. And they were stuck downtown at this restaurant because it was just pouring too hard and they didn't have any Gore-Tex gear. It was all like, you know, jeans and, and boots Ooh. and their gear would never dry. Bummer. That was like a major problem with me on the trip is that I, there aren't really conventional dryers in a lot of countries, including London of all places. Um, most people I knew only had washing machines. They didn't have dryers. So they would literally crank up the heat in the house and like lay the wet laundry what? over the banisters. Dead serious. Bummer. And, and so in, in Nepal, they did have a dryer, but f for places that would um, wash and, and clean for hotels. So you could send your laundry out for a fee and, and have it come back. But hmm. for the most part, there there wasn't a, um, a dryer. So, and I especially wouldn't want to give my motorcycle gear to someone to wash and dry. No. So I couldn't wash my, my gear ever. So I understand why they, they stayed because there's no way for them to, to dry off their boots. He would literally have to do like a good two days ride in wet boots and that would be terrible. So blow they dryer. stayed downtown. Well, blow dryer, yeah. maybe. True. I didn't see one of those on the trip either. Mm. <laughs> they stayed downtown. Bummer. And I stayed at the hotel, and it was a couple of hours. And actually, um, Tashi went to school with um, King Number Four's sister's <laughs> son, so cousin to King Number Five. And they had reunited over Facebook and hadn't seen each other in like 20 some years. And so he came out. I was, I told Tasha, you gotta, you gotta meet up with him. You gotta meet up with him. That would be so awesome. And it turns out that as fate would have it, Christy goes back to the hotel because she's old and broken. And the, the guy actually meets him while they're downtown. Hmm. So I totally missed this epic opportunity to, to meet some of the Royal family of Bhutan, which was awesome. And Tashi's so funny. He's like, I'm, I think he's royal, but I'm not sure, like, what his relationship is in the family. I just, you know, vaguely remember something. And he had said they were sitting in this cafe, and they were eating lunch, and suddenly everybody gets on their knees, <laughs> like, kneels and, you know, bows to this guy coming in. <laughs> and Tachi's like, oh, yep, yep, he's royal. <laughs> wow. So, um the caravan and you know the the Bhutanese version of Secret Service were were hanging hanging back, but uh, needless to say, that was kind of a cool opportunity. And he actually brought Tashi and I a, a cool little gift, a commemorative gift for Bhutan. So that was neat. But all in all, people um, second language, just like in Germany, like the second language is English. Oh, nice. So all of the youth, you know, it's similar to other countries where you start getting to be 45 and older and that's not the case. But for the most part, like anyone under 40 or 35 would definitely know English as a second language. And they're very, very hospitality oriented 
and the nice. like similar to some countries the punishment for crimes against locals is substantially different and and less than the crimes against tourism tourists so if you were to walk up to your girlfriend who's Bhutanese and smack her in the face your punishment would be I don't know I mean I'm totally making this up I do not know what that would be honestly a day in the slammer versus doing that to a tourist it would be like a year so Hmm. significantly different and probably that would be the case because they depend tourism is their second money maker their second um God, why is my brain just fraud today? <laughs> the, the the second uh, economic uh, gain for their country, the first being hydroelectric power, because uh. they sell they sell their power from their dam system to India and Nepal, Got and it. so their second um, gross national product, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, is tourism. Oh, nice. And, hey, at 150 a day, that's a lot of tourists when you think about it. Unless, of course, they don't make a lot. I mean, I'd be interested to know what the numbers are that they're pulling in for tourism. But uh, for the most part, it's uh, wealthy wealthy Asians uh, from China and wealthy Europeans that come to Bhutan. Because your hotels there, because I was exposed to how much a hotel costs, you know, seven, ten bucks maybe a night, running all the way up to like $1,500 a night. The only outside interests that are allowed to invest in Bhutan are two hotel chains that I'm aware of, the Four Seasons Hotel chain and then one that's called like um it's uh it's a Middle Eastern hotel chain. And it is those are the two that are, you know, like close to four and fifteen hundred dollars a night. Hmm. Also amazing hotels. I mean I, I think I saw one of them. I I wanna say it was the Four Seasons Hotel. I looked at it and thought, wow, you know, I, I just Googled Bhutan images and looked at a whole bunch of stuff, kind of wondering, okay, what do I want to see when I go? And I saw this beautiful monastery, what I thought was a monastery. I'm like, I really want to go here. And I click and I follow the link to find out that it's a Four Seasons Hotel. <laughs> like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful hotel that fits so well within the landscape. And that's part of Bhutanese... Um, I guess their their regulations, if you will, even the Buddha that was sponsored, the Buddha on the hill in Timpu was sponsored by a Singaporean businessman that wanted to give back to the faith and construct that Buddha. But you can't just show up with a couple million dollars and erect whatever you want. You still have to go through many, many, many uh, architectural and structural uh, channels to get your design approved. So likewise, I imagine that's why the hotels there that are built by outside interests are all very, very similar to Bhutanese architecture, which is gorgeous. Lots of use of uh, white, kind of white plaster with uh, wood trim, kind of like the the Swiss-ish chalet architecture that I saw in Nepal. There's some kind of similarity, except a lot of wood carving towards the uh, the roof line. And in Bhutan, they paint very colorful and intricate designs on all of the woodwork. So I'll, I'll post some photos from, from the trip on the show notes for this episode so you kind of get a feel. I'm 
by no means someone who can articulate architecture. I know plenty of rad architects that could probably help me out in that department, but I definitely appreciate it. So from a very pedestrian, ooh, that's so pretty standpoint. <laughs> well, the pictures so, yeah, look great really writing. Pretty. Yeah, just gorgeous. Great cool. writing, lots of curves, lots of mountain roads. Fairly good condition, I, I would say. Um, definitely the best of those three countries. Um yeah, I would say the best of those three countries, Nepal really being a close second. Granted, their roads are currently under construction in a lot of places, and so that's why I rate mm. them number two. But um, a very beautiful country, very nice people. I would I would happily go back if I had time to, let's say, hike. Like, I think that would be a really great way to see that country, to be off the bike and mm. kind of walking walking through the woods going to these very small towns that you probably don't i mean there's there's like one major highway that's it do you need an escort or sorry do you need a guide only because you were riding or would you need one if you were just hiking always doesn't matter you you have a babysitter in that country if you're not from bhutan india or nepal no okay got it and that's part of the the 250 you know plus that's rolled in I mean, uh, a if you were to go with uh, with another company that offered like Edelweiss or something like that, I'm sure they would just charge you some sort of outrageous, you know, eight thousand dollar fee for like ten days. But mm. there are companies out there that offer motorcycle tours if you don't want to wait for uh, built to ride in 2015. But um, that that's basically the nature of travel in Bhutan. You have to be with someone. So. Yeah, you know, that was one of the, the things I was talking about where between the high cost and the babysitter it was kind of a little bit of a damp a damper on me. But uh you know, still a really beautiful country and probably worth, you know, a look see if you have the, the finances. If not motorcycling, definitely on foot. Well Oh god I, my brain's not working either. Um, it's it's the Sunday meh that too Um, I think that's going to round us out for 56 I always lose track now what number we're on but I'm 99.99% sure this is 56 yeah so not sure what we'll bring you next week but we'll we'll work on some topics for the week probably ICMA I like to try a little bit of ICMA see what comes out Ducati has a huge uh, press junket tomorrow, Mm -hmm. Monday, in Milan, which is forcing everybody (sighs) to leave on a red eye today or last night in order to make it in time to reach Milan and reach Ducati on Monday. I don't know if it's an actual press launch, but it's some sort of, like, reveal that is dragging everybody out of their beds this weekend, and they had to do it on Monday. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends were like, oh, man, really, Monday? I'm like, I couldn't enjoy my weekend at home with my family. I had to take off for, for Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First world problems. I have no sympathy for those people because I would well, love to Well, I go. have sympathy for them because I could have spent more time. <laughs> like, I, I'd kill to go to Milan, even if it is to ditch my spouse for a weekend. I would love to go again at some point. Yeah, lucky but, you. I've already well, been. 
One time. I went one time, but the time I went was during the sucky time. Again, first world problems on the consumer days. Yes, I went on the consumer day, not the press day. So it was hell. And I had to race through the uh race through the show in six hours <sighs> on a saturday yes yeah, saturday afternoon all i had was like 2 p.m till closing and then oh sunday morning all we had was like opening until like 11 so wow. it was a race through the show and it was just kind of like run through as fast as you can um to see whatever it is you want to see and yeah that's like only having eight hours at Disneyland and, a, and two fast passes to use. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I just didn't have all the time I wanted. So, but and you get, again, first world problems. Yes, um, this is true. But we'll uh, yeah see what see what launches. See if there's anything new to announce um, next week. In the meantime, please visit us at motorific.com or on facebook.com/slash/motorificpodcast and on Instagram as motorificmedia. And uh, in the meantime, we will talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening.